Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Greetings of peace, brothers and sisters, elders, human beings, and other creatures of the cosmos. What is going on? This is Baraka Blue, and you're tuned in to Path and Present Podcast. This episode, I interviewed Adisa Benjoko. He is the founding director of Hip Hop Chess Federation, and he's a brother I've known for many years in the Bay Area. He's a journalist who's written... Um, for The Source, Vibe, many others. And his organization, uh, Hip Hop Chess Federation, has been doing great work, um, especially with youth in regards to teaching nonviolence through hip hop, chess, and the martial arts. He's a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so I wouldn't mess with him. And uh, he's just a brother who is a deep thinker and really has a heart of gold and it's concerned for really benefiting people. He he works with youth. He works in juvenile hall, and you know, and his work has spread all over the world, as we discuss a little bit um, in this conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, yeah. Before I get into it, I want to let people know that um, I'm going to be on tour this fall, September, and early October in the Middle East, Turkey, and Europe. So uh, for the dates, um, as they're coming out, just check out my Facebook um, and should have all that stuff up there. Um, the first one is Beirut um, on September 7th through 11th, the Lighthouse uh, Initiative. If you go to my Facebook, uh, you can check out the information and I hope to see you there. Afterwards, I'll be in the UK um, I'll be in Germany and discussing, hopefully, a few other countries in Europe as we speak. So, yeah, again, check out my Facebook for more information. Um, yeah, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do it is by, if you have an iPhone, for instance, um, you can automatically uh subscribe to the podcast so that it downloads immediately. Um, And then also, if you rate the podcast, comment on it, then it goes up in the iTunes charts. So that helps uh, so that more people can see the podcast. And then just word of mouth, let your people know if you you think they'd like it. Um, We greatly appreciate it. Uh, If you want to support financially, you can through Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash pathandpresent. And that allows you to give uh, an amount monthly. Yeah, I want to thank everybody that's been supporting. It's been great. Uh, this has been a blessing for me to have these conversations and a good excuse for me to sit down with some really interesting people. Um, I'll just say lastly that this conversation with Adisa happened uh, over Skype. Um, I'm currently... Uh, in Indonesia, and he's in the Bay Area. So when I can, I prefer to sit with people um, face-to-face in the same room because there's just something special about that. But because I've been traveling a lot, um, it's not always possible, and there's so many people who, you know, there's a lot of demands on their time. So, um, you know, some of them are Skype. So this one, there's a few times where uh, the line doesn't get cut, but it kind of goes out as far as the quality so you'll notice that but uh please forgive 
that, and uh, inshallah, it's still beneficial and enjoyable to your ears. All right, y'all. One love. Peace. Hey, what up? I'm here. Assalamu alaikum, bro. Alaykum salam. Alhamdulillah. It's good to, to make it happen, man. It is. It is. It's 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 especially good to hook, hook up with homies you haven't talked to in a minute. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's a I'm strange good. world that, you know, we might not see each other or, or talk even for years, but we're still like watching each other's moves on social media. So we kind of <laughs> feel like, I feel like, yo, I know what's going on, even though, man, I haven't talked to you in a long time. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. So yeah, man. I I um. I remember when I first met you, and I saw you had the Hip Hop Chess Federation decal on your truck, and I was like, man, what is this about with the straight with the uh, crown? And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, man. And and I just love and was always curious about you know how you brought together chess, hip hop, and the martial arts. So first, I just wanted to you know let you expound a little bit on what is the hip hop chess federation and then why you brought together those three elements. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, my name is Adisa Banjoko. My nickname is the Bishop. Um, I don't really care what I'm called. Either one will work or something else. If it's not too disrespectful. Um, the hip hop chess federation is a 501 C three. We're a nonprofit based in the Bay. And we fuse music, chess, and martial arts to promote unity, strategy, and nonviolence. Been around for about 10 years now, 11, I think, actually. And uh, I'm also currently the chess and jujitsu instructor at Zaytuna College. So um, it's, a, it's a fun ride. But, you know, the short version is that um, I started doing this because I, I'm, I'm originally from the hip-hop generation. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I, my, my first article, I was a journalist, one of the first journalist in hip-hop from the west coast my first article was an interview that i did with easy e in 19 late 1987 Whoa, and 87. it was it was like the first article on easy e and nwa ever i don't think there's an earlier article so, uh i i interviewed him before he like the single boys in the hood was out but it was not a hit yet it was literally like the first week it came out hmm. so nobody had really heard it and i just happened to have bought it on a fluke through a friend. Um, I wrote about him for my school newspaper and because of him and my counselor, Mr. King, who's uh, still alive, shout out to Marshawn King. Uh, my whole journalism and career in journalism began because of them. Mm -hmm. And, and that led to me writing for the source down the line and vibe and, uh, rap pages and double XL all at their peak, no disrespect to them now, but all at their peak. And, uh, it, it's been an honorable journey. Yeah. And, and so coming through, that was my hip hop lens. Okay. And it's also important to note that I was an artist, meaning that I was in a rap group called Freedom Troop 187. Troops stood for through revolution of our people. I was a uh, supremely black militant at mm -hmm. that time. And, uh, you know, uh, I changed my name. My middle name was given to me by Tupac's godfather, mm. uh, Geronimo Pratt, rest in peace. And, you know, Tupac was a personal friend and, uh, yeah, maybe you could jump into that, man, a little bit just to, cause that helps fill in some of the gaps as far as how this all develops. But you were in basically that Bay area, golden era hip hop. Yeah. 
And so maybe you yeah. could just talk about what that was like and some of your relationships with different artists and and and. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that was one of the most fun times of my life, man. Um, you know, uh, I came into Islam largely because of hip hop, meaning like a lot of cats would be like, "Yo, if it wasn't for Public Enemy, I'd have never took you out of yeah, me." Like, I'm not that guy. My dad was in my life, and he taught me about Malcolm X. And he would play Malcolm X records for me and just make me sit down and listen to him. You know what I'm saying? So I already knew who Malcolm X was. I knew that Islam existed, but I was raised as a Christian. And my father had taken me to the Alhambra when I was about five years old. Mm. And he sat me up on the edge of the wall at the top of King Ferdinand's castle. And he was pointing across to Morocco. And he was like, that's where home is. That's home. And even as young as I was, like, I still remember that. Mm. And later, when Public Enemy did come out and I heard uh, Bring the Noise, I knew that that was Malcolm X. I knew I had heard it. And so that had brought me to Islam. Um, but that whole time was when hip hop was at its golden age. And it wasn't really its golden age. Or I call it the golden age for the main reason that the insight and the information and the ideas coming out of hip hop have never been paralleled. Mm. That's not to say that they're not here today in hip hop. They are, right. but and even the creativity, that, like pushing the envelope, the freeness. Like yeah. there was a sense of freeness. Like nothing there wasn't was no, hip hop. Yeah, yeah. There was no rules, and it was all open rebellion, and all uh, uh, not just open rebellion, but but original rebellion. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if you use a particular kind of snare, it's almost like I can't use that snare. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go find a doper snare, mm -hmm. right? If you're using a sick bass line, all right, I'm gonna use a bass line with that same mood, but flip it. And so that was caused a consistent raising of the bar artistically, and and that artistic bar being raised forced you to be academically dope. Like you had to say things that made people question it. You had to know things that other people couldn't know, so that when you spit a bar, someone had to be like, ooh. Uh, what is what is Mecca? I, I don't know. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like you, you you had to push that bar. And so, you know, at those times, man, I mean, the Bay was on fire, bro. I, I, I could tell you about going to the Fresh Fest, the first big stadium tour of Ron DMC, LL Cool J and Houdini. I could tell you about seeing Jermaine Dupree as a dancer for Houdini. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? Doing a whole strutting routine, not rapping. He was not known as a rapper. He was too young. But 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 he was known as a dancer, like popping and locking under a single green laser that's rotating around him in front of a whole packed Oakland Coliseum. You know what I'm saying? You don't even get those kind of shows anymore. You know what I'm saying? With hip hop tours like that. Um, I could tell you about going to see the Egyptian lover in the back alley behind Star Records and like being a 13 year old nerd. But like he sees me like not getting any love because I'm so small. So he lets me cut through the crowd and I get to stand on a garbage can so I can take pictures of him scratching with mm. with uh, Uncle Jam from Uncle Jam's army. Dial a freak. Go look that up. <laughs> and so, you know, like my life was very I was blessed, man. Like, I, you know, a lot of times people say, yo, I wish I should have been born in the Middle Ages. I should have been born when the Moors took Al-Andalus. I should have. No, I should have been born right now. dog. Mm -hmm. This is my time. This is my my my, my year, man. And so I, I love my life, man. I could tell you about watching, you know, uh, uh, hieroglyphics do battles at the corner of, of Durant and Telegraph. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I could tell you uh, uh, about recording songs with Dell. 
You know, uh, I had a whole record. I had like a record I made with Dell. That's on YouTube. Uh, mm. It's called What You Know. But I recorded like 20 years ago. We just dropped it. <laughs> mm. That's tight. I, 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 I can tell you about doing shows with the coup. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I can tell you about recording with Boots. I still got records I ain't dropped with Boots. Still got records I ain't dropped with A Plus with Pep Love, and um, it 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 is and was an honor then and now. You know, to be not only to be from that generation, but to but to even know the artists from this generation who are doing things. And so, you know, my life though was very radical. It was very militant. It was very aggressive. Um, a lot of the things that are happening now are happening then. So that's why I think I can still relate to the youth because I remember getting pulled over by the police all the time. I remember getting profiled racially. I remember when I changed my name and cats started tripping off of it. I remember. And, and uh, you know, all of that, like my friendship with pop, my friendship with all the different artists that I mentioned. Um, but as well, like just the reading, you know, uh, being, being able to, just sit and soak up not just the wisdom of Malcolm X, but Socrates, but but you know what I mean, like yeah, like, and that's that's one of the things I know. You know, as 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 I, you know, got older and traveled, and people that you know around the world, or people that even in the states, but that didn't grow up in hip hop or weren't really exposed to that, a lot of times they're really, um, especially people from other countries. I find like they they're really surprised at the idea of hip hop being a vessel for positivity, for wisdom, for truth, for even political activism. And I'm always like amazed at how people are surprised at that because that's how I, just like you and so many of your generation, and I think I'm a little bit younger than you, but my generation as well, we all came into all those ideas through hip hop. If it wasn't for hip hop, there would be no know the ledge, knowledge yourself, you know, like, yeah. You know, and and it's really interesting that, unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, growing up today or coming up today aren't even aware of that legacy. Yeah, no, I mean, and the cold part is it's not even that they're unaware of it. Every aspect of that legacy is daily under attack by corporations, by 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 media outlets, by uh, government officials who don't understand the value of hip hop as an educational tool and as an international uh, thread of peace that unites humanity, right? And they're all afraid of this boogeyman kind of thing. And not only that, they're now using the same hip-hop that was liberating the youth to sell syrup, to sell liquid heroin to the children, to sell all these different things. And so it's very sad and very frustrated. You know, um, it frustrates me. I was I was just did a, a chess summer camp in Juvenile Hall and like, 90% of the kids there uh, actively use, you know, liquid heroin when, when they're, when they're free yeah, that's and crazy, they're kids, right. And I'm like, yo, I'm like, do you understand that? Like, this is what the government was trying to push in like the forties for your grandparents, but African-Americans didn't like needles. So the whole heroin thing fell apart and it didn't work. And then, so crack came and there was that whole thing. And that's how a lot of your, Parents and uncles came up missing and dying, and they're in the clink right now, right? And now they figured out that if they liquefy it, you'll drink it. And we live in an age where you shouldn't be able to drink alcohol, but not only can you get it, but you shouldn't be able to get heroin. And you can get that at school because I work in schools and I already see the little baby bottles with the syrup in it and all that. 
So I know you can have it. And when I was talking to him, I was like, you know, so basically like you're living the dream of J. Edgar Hoover from like the 40s and 50s. Mm. This is what he dreamt for you. Mm. And now you're a 15 year old taking liquid heroin. And one of the guys raised his hand. I was like, what's up? He was like, hey, man, can you please stop talking about syrup? Because like I really want some. Mm. That was his response. Dang, you can't even talk about it where he's just like, he's that addicted that if just talking yeah. about it. And that's yeah. deep what you say, man. Like, yeah, the J. Edgar Hoover, that whole plan. And then interesting enough, I mean, talk about coming up in the Bay Area hip hop scene in the 80s, like, you know, where the legacy of the Panthers is still strong and living and, and all these other yeah. counterculture movements and art and that all feeding into hip hop as a reaction and as this like upliftment and as this empowerment and then boom you get to the 2000s and i mean it already started happening in the 90s but hip-hop yeah. is becomes this means of countering that you know what i mean like that's the yeah. interesting thing about that is like me because i was born in, in 84 so when i mm-hmm. i came mm-hmm. up in the 90s hip-hop and so it was still mainstream you know it was still yep. but at the same time, you just had to scratch beneath the surface a little bit. And you you yep. got to like, you know, everything, the deep, deep roots of it. So, but yeah, I mean, and I think um, that leads us into, into your work because using hip hop, martial arts and chess as a way of upliftment and empowering and teaching nonviolence and these type of things. So I'd love to hear... What inspired you to bring those three elements together? Well, really what it was is these were just like three personal passions that helped me get through life. And one day they all kind of crystallized. So my father taught me chess when I was four. I always liked it. I am no kind of chess master. I'm really kind of like, you know, a decent player, but like, I'm not someone who you're going to play and get wild. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's important to note because uh, playing chess is just for refinement of the mind. It's not. It's not about, you know what I'm saying? Like trying to be a chess master or even compete. It's just about having this understanding of, of self-defense mentally, of, 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 of loss, of recovery from loss, of defense, of attack, of just holding your ground. All of these things you can do mentally. You get, you see? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I grew up like that. Then when I grew up in hip hop, like I remember the first time I heard, uh, a chess lyric, it was EPMD. Um, I'm in a battling state. I can't concentrate. I make a move like chess. Then I yell checkmate. That was from EPMD, uh, you're a customer. Then not long after that, uh, Public Enemy said, no matter what the name, we're all the same pieces in one big chess game, and Rebel Without a Pause. And so I, I started making like mental notes of rappers who mentioned chess. Then once I became a, a journalist and a writer, when I would hang out with them, sometimes I would ask them if they played chess, and a lot of them did. And I realized that chess was like this intellectual dirty secret where people played it, but nobody wanted to admit it because, you know, chess is a thing that, that people respect you for a certain level of intelligence just based off the idea that you play chess. Not even that you're good, just that you can play. You, you, you can maintain a certain posture in, in a room of people, and they respect it. And... um so fast forward, I went to go do a talk. I wrote a book called Lyrical Swords, Volume 1, Hip Hop and Politics in the Mix, and Lyrical Swords, Volume 2, uh, West Side Rebellion. Uh, both of those books are out of print, but I think you can still cop them on Amazon or whatever. But I went to go talk at Juvenile Hall, 
about journalism as a career path. And I was bombing the presentation. None of the kids cared at all. And I had just started teaching my son chess. He was four at the time. And I had his chessboard and pieces in my bag. And I said, hey, because uh, I was trying to waste time. I was like, hey, who in here knows how to uh, play chess? And like 85 to 90 percent of the room raised their hand. And I was tripping because I was like, man, I thought I was going to be able to waste time with these dudes teaching them how pieces move. <laughs> and now mm -hmm. I got, they already know. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, well, who thinks they're the best? And there was this kid in the back who's like 230, 300 pounds, maybe. He was big. He was, I'm the best. And they were like, shut up, fat boy. This ain't no sandwich eating contest. <laughs> they was giving him drama. He was like, no, 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 I'm really the best. I'm really the best. So I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a tournament. And whoever wins their match, I'll give a book to. So the first two guys were playing, and they were both black. And there was a white kid in the hall who was sitting on the inside of the circle. And one of them got ready to move his knight. And he was like, don't move your knight. And he was like, shut up, white boy. Ain't nobody ask you about no chess moves. Sit back. And he moves his knight, and the dude loses his queen. Hmm. So then they're like, oh, man, we got to listen to the white boy. He actually knows what's up. Hey, what do I do next? And all of a sudden, like, his, his pecking order went up. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. he understood chess. So... As the heavyset kid said, he went on to win everything. Mm. And I was walking out and I was like, how is it that all these kids know chess but have made mistakes that got them incarcerated? Mm. And what can I do to help them understand how to make better moves in life like they do in chess? And it was like every chess lyric I had kept in the back of my brain hit me at one time. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is a thing. You know, and it came from that. I was already a student of Gracie Jiu Jitsu. I'm a brown belt right now. Um, and I was like, chess is Jiu Jitsu for the mind and Jiu Jitsu is chess for the body. Mm. And I was like, I get it. And so then I, I just started. And, you know, the organization that exists now isn't the organization that exists in the beginning, meaning that I knew then that it was going to take a lot of homework that, you know, America had to mature and understand what chess meant, but it also had to understand what hip hop meant, but it also had to understand what martial arts is. And so I just started doing lots of research, you know what I mean? Mm. To connect these dots so that people could come in from wherever they come in and be at peace with, uh, and be at peace with whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, it, it was it was just a really cool time. And I never thought that I would go from there to teaching at Zaytuna. I never thought that I would go from there to, uh, you know, speaking at Harvard, speaking at University of Connecticut. Uh, they just took my book, Bobby Bruce and the Bronx, The Secrets of Hip Hop Chess and the Cornell Hip Hop Archive and Ivy League University has a has a has a book. And archive manuscripts, three stories underground. And they were like, we need your book to preserve it mm. uh, digitally and physically. So that 500 years from now, if someone wants to know what was going on in hip hop and chess and martial arts, they'll have your book. And this just blows my mind. You know, it's incredibly humbling. Mm. Um, the same thing happened at UMass Boston. And so, um, you know, I'm honored still. Um, I'm getting ready to go back to Juvenile Hall and do some work in a, in a, in a couple of weeks. And. You know, it's it's an exciting time, man, and I, I feel very lucky. That's dope, man. All of that is dope. And so, yeah, everything that you said about chess and, and like, you, you united it with martial arts 
is that it's really about strategy. Like some people, you know, they think, what's the martial arts? All right, you learn how to fight. But the reality is that if you learn, especially jujitsu, which is such a like a thinker's martial art, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that yeah. like you learn, you know, tools that you can apply to every aspect of life. I mean, there's principles that are, you learn, you know, in concrete ways. Like it's not even just theoretical, like you get submitted. And so you, okay, exactly. I can't do that. Right. Can't. Like there's something about martial arts that's just super uh, concrete. Like for instance, you know, like I'm, I've been, I watch a lot of, you know, like UFC and MMA. I'm just mm -hmm. super into it. And it's like, the thing is, it's so on the surface, it's just two dudes swinging at each other. But when you get a little bit deeper, right. you see it's so tactical and it's so such expertise and mastery. And, and, you know, it's like chess in that sense, but the stakes are high because if you get outmaneuvered, you get punched in the face really hard or elbowed in the face. You know what I mean? So it's like the stakes are just super high. And um, it's intense though, man. Like, but, but I think, you know, there's certain things in life like the, that can teach us that transfer over to every other aspect of life. So like you said, if you start to think like a chess player or think, you know, like a master of a board and, and you look at the world, you can see like whether it's governments or whether it's geopolitics or whether it's like hood politics or whether it's business, you say, okay, you know, for instance, like um, there's proxy wars going on in Syria right now. You know what I mean? Yep. So there's people like, you know, the Russians have a certain agenda. The Iranians have a certain agenda. The American government has a certain agenda. And so they're using this place, you know, they're moving chess pieces, they're supporting different factions, you know what I mean? And so it's, and the whole world so is dude, like that. So dude, here's something so crazy. So the other week, literally two weeks ago, I'm, I'm you know, because it's amazing how your intuition can lead you places, mm. right? How you can have a feeling, have no basis, no physical proof, no no, no word, no idea that what you're feeling is authentic, but it's just in you. Right. And it never leaves. So just the other week, you know, I study military strategy and I study military philosophy from Sun Tzu to Clausewitz to, to, to Mao Zedong to, to Miyamoto Musashi and others all the time. But I was just bumping around on the internet and I found an article where they talked about how the, those that plan the, the, the original invasion of Iraq under George Bush practiced entering Iraq by playing chess games over and over again. And those were the models for their simulated artillery and, and troops. And they wanted to enter like speed chess. And this is now, it's documented. It's sitting on the internet. Mm. And I found this article where they were quoting a professor who was talking about that. And, 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 and he was comparing the relationship between chess and military strategy to Go, which is a Chinese kind of version of chess that some people say is much deeper and more, 
more uh, more cerebral than chess. And I was like, I knew it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I knew it. But to see it in black and white, what you've always believed uh, is 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 uh, amazing and enlightening and inspiring. You know. Um, and so, you know, chess is very much uh, jujitsu for the mind, and jujitsu is chess for the body. I do believe that all martial arts connect to chess, but for me, and I believe like stylistically, jujitsu is the most like chess. Like if I grab your wrist, there are like several different ways that you can get out. Just like if I put my knight out, there's several different ways that you can counter that. And based on your counter, I have other counters. Mm-hmm. And so chess is connected, and so is martial arts, and, and, and so is human engagement. You know what I mean? But, you know, ultimately what I'm hoping to do is, 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 is what some of a group of translators of the art of war, they said they want victory over war, Mm. you know, meaning like it's absence. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Because Sun Tzu said that, you know, the most perfect battle was the one, one without fighting, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I'm a big believer in that. And and that's why I love nonviolence. And that's why I believe that nonviolence is the only way all of us can really move forward. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, correctly, they look in a lot of different philosophical books and a lot of different history books and a lot of different spiritual books. And they'll say, you know, well, you know, it's my right to be violent and and do do damage to my enemy and et cetera, et cetera. And all of that stuff, it makes sense in theory. Right. And I believe in self-defense. I don't believe that anybody should be put here to be abused. But what I am saying is that to stay peaceful doesn't make you weak. Right. And I'm also saying that um, if I don't hurt you, but I have the ability to, how can I teach you the scope of mercy? Mm. Right? Because a lot of times I've had it where people have kind of popped off or kind of act wild. And then later somebody will be like, hey, that guy actually knows jujitsu, bro. He's a brown belt. He could have broke your neck. Mm-hmm. And then they go, oh, man, I didn't know. You know it's okay. But uh, you know what I'm saying? And, and then they respect right. what didn't happen. But at the same time, I don't know them. They mm-hmm. could be a triple black belt in three things and jujitsu. Right. And that's what you see, man. The it, people that are, like, getting into, like, fights, you know, at school or bar fights or whatever, they're not the people that are super trained and super super confident usually comes from intense insecurities like the martial artists aren't the dudes who are out there just fighting anybody you know they're the dudes who they have complete security uh they know their ability it's not like i have to prove something so if it pops off i'm ready but they tend to be the most peaceful people exactly you know yeah, you know, all of the guys that I know that are, that, that even, and I'm not even going to say, I will say masters just because unequivocally, all of the masters that I personally know, like none of them are people that go out and fight at all. And, you know, Dave Camarillo of Guerrilla Jiu-Jitsu, he really wrote an article years ago that really stuck with me. And he just talked about the difference between fighters and martial artists. You know what I mean? That there are people that train, but their brains and their philosophies and their hearts aren't elevated. And so they're just kind of like machines. Mm-hmm. But a martial artist is nonviolent. Right? Yeah, man. A martial you must artist be, is you, nonviolent. So and, you must um, be, have been doing uh, jujitsu for a long time. And it seems to have, like, been growing. I mean, when you were doing it, it was probably pretty obscure. But now it's, like, it's really, you know, 
bursted onto the scene and become extremely popular. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very obscure. You know, when I was doing it, most people didn't know what it was. And most people that knew what it was thought it didn't work and they would get beat down a lot. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm from that time when people would come into the to the gym saying like, I don't think Gracie Jiu Jitsu works and leave with a broken arm. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Being like, I might have to rethink my life. And so. um, But but, you know, what's crazy. And like I, this is what like for me personally happened. Like once you start learning it, you learn because like, you know, I started to learn because I was getting married and I was like, man, like, I don't want to have a gun, but I don't want my wife to feel unprotected, you know? So that's really why I started learning. Um, and at first you kind of come in with this like male testosterone and sense of self-preservation where you just, you're just not trying to go out. You know what I mean? Like that's really kind of what it starts at. But over time you start to see the timing in it. You start to appreciate human beings because anytime like if i show you how to escape a chokehold right mm -hmm. i've just helped you save your own life mm. right and not just your life but the life of people you love because if something goes down and your mom or your dad is around something goes down and your kids are around or an elderly person is around like now you're able to save them through what i've taught you mm -hmm. right and so but we meaning me and you, we may not be the same race, same faith, uh, same gender, same political parties, right? But because I've taught you this, irrespective of what I am or what you are, we're closer now, mm -hmm. right? We're closer now. So the next time you see somebody that looks like me or looks totally different from me, you'll remember that. Mm. And you'll be like, man, you know what? Like, I know they talk crazy about whoever but he's chill and so i can't have the same attitude that others do about people like them whoever they are quote unquote you understand what i'm saying mm -hmm. like jujitsu started to bring me closer to my own humanity and through that acknowledge other people's humanity and be at peace wherever i walk sure. right because like you said i don't need to prove myself i don't need to bully somebody i don't need to choke somebody but i also don't need to allow myself to be intimidated right. and so um and it, it allows you, you know, a lot of times man you find these days and it's because of the internet and and you know a lot, a lot of broken homes and really kind of fractured education systems you find like a lot of times some of these young people are dying simply because no one intervened mm. and no one intervenes because they're so scared mm -hmm. they don't know what to do when it gets serious Right. But in other uh, in prior years, like you would have never just stood around and watched a girl get punched in the face by a dude. And that's cool. Right. And then not only is it cool, but we're going to film it. Mm. And not only are we going to film it, we're going to share it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like society is like falling apart because there's a lack of 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 human respect, not just for other people, but for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't think we're worthy of it. So we don't give it to others. And then these cycles, these real sick, uncivilized cycles reveal themselves. Whereas like with just a little jujitsu, not talking a lifetime of training, six months, six months, mm. you can, you can have a new perspective and not be a fighter, but be a martial artist and be someone who, who can help, uh, keep the peace, not just with your hands, but with your mind. Mm. Yeah, man. So I know you've worked with a lot of uh, different hip hop artists as well as other um, 
prominent people, but um, who are some of the the artists and other people who have been, uh, you know, big supporters of hip hop chess? Um, you know, over the years, had a lot of different people who have supported HHCF. I think the most notable one is RZA from Wu Tang Clan, um, Jizza from Wu Tang Clan. Um, man, there's so many people. Let me think. Rocka from Dilated Peoples, DJ Qbert, Amir Suleiman, uh, Paris from way back. Mm. Not the white girl DJ. <laughs> Look it up. Gorilla Funk. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, Boots from the Coup came to one of our first events. Josh Waitskin, the chess master, came to some of our first early events. And, you know, there are a lot of people, Pop Master Fable. You know, uh, Christy Z from Tools of War, um, you know, and like there's just a lot of like amazing artists who have who have backed us over the years. And I'm, I'm really excited. You know, Ray Love, uh, man, like just there, there's a lot. It's hard for me. Uh, almost all the dudes from Hyro, mm -hmm. uh, Immortal Technique, um, you know, a lot of really uh, Zion and I, a lot of really cool people. And I, and I feel blessed. You know, and, and right now I'm, I'm starting to reach out to, to the younger generation because it's not so much about the OGs anymore. Like if, if, if we're dealing with like universal laws and universal philosophies, we have to start dealing with like um, passing things on to the youth. Like sometimes when I see people from my generation talking bad about the young people in hip hop, I blame them. Mm. Right. Like. Well, what did you teach them then? Right. If you don't like what they're doing with Mike, what did you tell them to do it? Oh, you didn't tell them how to hold a mic? You didn't tell them about 16 bars? You didn't tell them, right, mm -hmm. how to how to really pronounce into the mic? You, you mad that they mumbling, but you didn't give them a vocabulary. Mm. But you from the golden age of hip-hop. Okay. That don't even make sense. Right. Right? And so I, as an educator and a lover of the youth, cannot sit by watch them do bad and be at peace with that to sit in the sidelines and the shadows and critique. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, yo, actually you want to hold a mic like this. Oh, you don't know about 16 bars. Let me explain. The reason why people do 16 bars is because DJs used to juggle the break a four bar piece of a record. Mm -hmm. And so grandmaster flash would do it back to back four times so that people could do their raps because the record would just start to play after those four bars. Mm -hmm. And so four times four is 16. And that's why rappers always want to do a hot 16. Mm -hmm. And that's from 1969. <laughs> but because you can grow up with records and you grow up in a digital age, you don't know about how important that was. Mm -hmm. But that's the legacy of where bars come from. That's why we count them. That's why we know them. But you don't know about turntables. You don't know about breaks. Right? And you don't know about math. So none of this makes sense to you mm. in a digital age. Can't touch a record and see where a break is on the wax. But that's where I come from, and that's why I'm sharing it with you. And that's what Grandmaster Flash taught me. So that's why I'm teaching you. Mm. So yeah, you're you're, you're really Instead using you're really using you know the the federation as a vehicle to really mentor and to transmit um, these legacies really of hip hop, yeah. chess, and martial arts to to young people. And, yeah. and, you know, so now that you've been at it for 10, 11 years, what have you seen? Like maybe some, you know, examples or just overall 
uh, of individuals or communities that have benefited or what is the effect that, that it has on people? I'll tell you the most recent one that that was unexpected and it warmed my heart. So in 2014, I, I curated an event at the World Chess Hall of Fame, which is a museum in St. Louis. And we did an event called Living Like Kings about the relationship between hip hop and chess and a little bit martial arts. We worked on it for about two years. And then right before it dropped, Mike Brown was killed. And the whole time I was out there, I was working with an amazing lady named Susan Barrett. And I told her, like, when I come out there and when I bring RZA, I don't want to be working and hanging out with, like, the upper crust elite of St. Louis. Like, I want to be where the kids are, where the poorest kids and the kids in most need are. And she honored that. And so every time I would go out there, she would have me at the at the juvenile halls, you know what I'm saying, which were, like, literally the first four visits I did to juvenile hall. I think they were 100% black mm. and the schools were 100% black. And for a guy from the Bay Area, that was weird for me. I wasn't ready for that. I didn't expect that. Okay. Mm -hmm. But Mike Brown gets killed. We go, I take RZA, we go out there to, to St. Louis where it's on fire. And, and, and by the way, like another guy got killed, Vonderit Myers got killed by another cop the day before our opening. Mm. Okay. So tensions are high, but I stick to my guns, and so does RZA. We go talk to about 500 kids in North St. Louis about the value of hip-hop, chess, and martial arts, and about the value of nonviolence. Then we go to the juvenile hall, a co-ed juvenile hall, and talk. And then we start working with uh, two guys, one named Mike Wessum and another guy named JT, who worked inside the juvenile hall. And they started an HHCF program there, mm. right? I trained them to learn all the, cause I have a book, Bobby Bruce in the Bronx. And in the back of that book, the first 12 lessons are there. I taught them the first 12 lessons. I gave them the worksheets. They started working on it, but then things happened and things fell apart just because of time. You know, JT kind of went on to do other things. Um, but Mike called me, he tracked me down on Facebook two weeks ago. And he said, we just relaunched the HHCF chapter in juvenile hall here at St. Louis and the kids love it. And all the administrators love it. And I just wanted to thank you for sharing this wisdom. And it's working, you know, mm. and to know that my work is 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 actively right now still helping young children who are incarcerated there makes me feel good. And then this week, one of our MMA fighters, a guy named Dewan Owens, look him up. He is in Uganda, in Kampala, Uganda right now. And this week, I think it's going to happen tomorrow. They're going to have Hip Hop Chess Federation Day. Mm. in Kampala, Uganda, where he teaches b-boying chess and and martial arts to help the women defend themselves against rape because it's such a problem oh. in, in that part of the world. You know, and so these are the things like to, to know that some kids are going to be playing chess because of the work that we've been doing who will n probably never meet me, who I'll never meet and I'll never know how it affects them. Mm. Like that just, I mean, like it literally brings tears to my eyes, man. Like it, 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 it honestly brings tears to my eyes and not tears of like sadness, tears of, of joy and, and gratitude that what you hoped would stick is showing some essence of stickiness. It's beautiful, man. And I think, you know, this is part of, um, you know, it's part of every culture, if you look across human society, especially like young men wanting to be warriors. But, you know, you have to be given 
principles. You have to be given code. Like being a warrior is about chivalry. It's about standing for something. It's about defending the weak. It's about protection. You know, it's about principles. And so, unfortunately, we see a lot of young people who haven't necessarily been guided by those principles. So, acting out that that warrior instinct in unproductive or self-destructive ways, you know. And so, I see you as like redirecting that warrior instinct towards being a true warrior, you know, like an enlightened warrior, you know, a warrior of, of peace and justice and truth. And, yeah, uh, no, really, that's that's where I'm headed, man. And I'm, I'm glad that it, 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 it strikes you in that way because that's what I'm going for. You know, like really, when you look at Tupac's thug life, mm-hmm. that was that philosophy unactualized. Yeah. Right? Like that was that instinct. Yeah. Right? In every man. And in almost every woman that exists, Mm -hmm. but we don't have a way in American education and in most global societies of cultivating that instinct in a way that benefits society. Yeah. And so, you know, I always tell people, because especially, man, I look like Steve Urkel still, you understand? (laughs) And so people like seeing me and they're like, this dude, you know what I'm saying? And like, I always tell them like the kids, they pop off sometimes in the hall or whatever. And I'll be like, look. They'd be like, oh, you know what's up, man? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm look, I ain't no thug, but I am a warrior. Mm. So I ain't gonna let you do what you think you're fixing to do. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm looking them dead in their eye when I say that. Sure. And they can tell that I, I'm not kidding. They don't know what's going on, but they know whatever they thought was fixing to pop off is not popping off. Mm. But you know, so. You know, to that end, I'm trying to help people cultivate the warrior, the natural warrior within themselves and 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 engage it and build on it and share it for the cause of peace anywhere they walk. And that that's all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to make people be top MCs, top fighters or, or, or top tier chess players. I'm helping them use these arts to find themselves and be the best human being. They want to be whether they want to lay sheetrock or rhymes. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, well, man, you're doing a great job and it's been inspiring to watch and to watch it grow and to see the ways that, you know, it's spreading, like you say, into the academy and into juvenile hall and, you know, all around the world. So, you know, big up, man. I think it's a dope initiative and uh, Thank I'm you. Happy, to, happy to share it, man, and, and speak with you about it. So let uh, in closing, why don't you let people know like where they can f- find out more or where they connect with you online? Um, yeah, and then anything you got coming up? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, visit hiphopchess.com. And please, if you know somebody who can donate or you can donate any amount, please trust me. All donations matter. Okay, for real. If you work. Uh, in education and you want to know more about how hip-hop chess and martial arts is working right now to help young people uh, and help adults uh, frame their lives and understand things better, visit hiphopchess.blogspot.com at hiphopchess.blogspot.com Sorry about that. I I live in a rough area. They got bikers over here. Uh, At hiphopchess.blogspot.com you can uh, learn about the things that we do and uh, check us out on IG as well at real hip hop chess. And uh, definitely 
come see our upcoming event in 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 March of 2018, and I'll talk to you about this offline more. We're host. We're, I'm guest curating a new exhibit, 13,000 square feet in Oakland at the Oakland Museum. Uh, the event is called Respect Hip Hop Style and Wisdom, and we're going to cover chess, martial arts. We're going to have a whole tribute to Bruce Lee because he's from Oakland. We're going to look at hip hop and education, hip hop and entrepreneurship, hip hop and fashion. Okay. And we're going to have young people involved. We're going to have uh, a youth board. We're going to have debates about what hip hop is and is not. We're going to have a lot of cool things going on. And so, yeah, I want to invite you out personally to that. And we'll, we'll talk more about some of the stuff that you do and maybe ways that we can incorporate it. But, you know, I want to thank all the listeners and please follow us on IG or Twitter if you can. And uh, stay blessed and stay safe wherever you are. I mean, all right, bro. Thank you so much. Salam All right, have a blessed. Thanks a Thank you for listening to Path and Present Podcast. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so in a few ways. One is word of mouth. People hear about the podcast mostly from people like you who listen and like it say i know someone who would connect with this who would feel this who would enjoy this subject matter so continue to share with your family and friends secondly you can subscribe rate and comment um, on the itunes page of path and present subscribing means that the podcast will each episode will come directly to you when we release it and rating and commenting means that it will grow and uh Come up in the iTunes rankings, which will allow it to be uh, available and uh, seen by more people. And then lastly, you can support financially on Patreon. Patreon is a site which allows people to give a small amount monthly to support um, art or any type of content. And we have a Path and Present page on Patreon. The link is on our SoundCloud page, SoundCloud slash path and present and you'll find the patreon link there and yeah you can support there we're greatly appreciative of it uh i guess lastly lastly keep us in your prayers your positive thoughts and your moments of remembrance and thank you for tuning in and being part of the global path and present family one love